Hey there, it's Jim Stengel, host of the CMO Podcast. We're all marketers here, so let's be real for a sec. We all know that your website shouldn't be a static asset. It should be a dynamic part of your strategy to build your brand and drive conversions. That's Marketing 101. But 54% of marketing leaders say web updates take too long. That's over half of you listening right now. And that's where Webflow comes in. Their visual-first platform allows you to build, launch, and optimize web pages fast. That means you can set ambitious marketing goals and your site can rise to that challenge. Learn why teams like Dropbox, IDEO, and Orange Theory all trust Webflow to achieve their most ambitious goals today at webflow.com. Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. What's the first brand you remember having an impact on you? Oh my goodness. Gosh, I would probably say, do you remember Sun In? I think it was like Sun In. It was like the stuff that you would spray in your hair and it would dye it. I would have said Coke. I just have the fondest memories of when we would have Coke, Coca-Cola as a family. But that Sun In, it was probably at that age where you know, I was the only Asian female in my school and everyone had blonde hair. And I just remembered this image of this golden highlights and how I wanted that. Um, and so kind of random, but that's that's the first thing that came to my mind. How did that go? The sun in with your hair. <laughs> not good. Not good. Not good. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today on the CMO podcast is Jocelyn Wong. Jocelyn has been the CMO of two large retailers, Family Dollar and Lowe's. She also worked at Safeway and P&G. I first met Jocelyn at P&G in the early 2000s, after she made the leap from R&D into marketing, working in the oral care division. I was immediately impressed by her passion, energy, her intelligence, and collaborative spirit. We talk extensively with Jocelyn about this pause she's taking in her career. She's on a garden leave, as the Brits call it, and she's taking time to reflect and think and plan what she wants to do with the rest of her life. This is my most interesting conversation with Jocelyn Wong. Jocelyn, it is so good to see you. It has been way too long, and I want to ask you right up front, do you remember when we first met? You know, I would say I remember seeing you from the auditorium um, of the HCRC. At P&G. You used to do this at P&G, and you used to do this big show. And I'll be honest, I was always just in awe. I remember you and Vivian had the Stengel Hour, and you guys used to do just a phenomenal job, I think, of inspiring everybody throughout the, you know, the organization. And so th those are, those would be my memories of you from afar. And then obviously we've had a chance to interact in person over the years as well. Well, what, what you're referring to is we did at PNG a kind of a quarterly variety show about the best of marketing around the yeah. world. And Vivian Bechtold was kind of my co-host. 
and a common friend of ours. But I remember a meeting we had when you were on Crest, and I think Iman came with you okay. to talk about the really bold marketing program you were creating with Crest White Strips. And okay. I mean, and yes. you came to my office and you said, we want to come upend the marketing model. We want to make this the best launch in PNG's history. It was a, it was a an incredible technology. And you, I think had just really come over to marketing shortly before that. And so, yeah. and, and, I, yeah. I, and I just love the spirit, love the innovation, love the energy. Yeah. You know, it's interesting after so many years, I look back so fondly, um, of my PNG days, particularly on Crest. You know, I think that was, you know, I think when you look back on your career, there's just certain moments in time that maybe you're fortunate enough to realize it at the moment that this can never be recreated quite again. And I think I had some notion that it was a special moment. Um, and I just look back at those years so fondly, not just because of the team and the relationships, but because we were winning and innovating. Um, and I think we were really bold at the time. And there was just amazing chemistry. And so, yeah, the Crest days were just just phenomenal and really instrumental in my career. Well, we'll get into that a bit later. But I want to start. We're we are recording this, of course, in the midst of the coronavirus crisis. And I just want to say, how are you and your family doing? How is life for you? How are you getting by? What rituals might you have? You know, um, you know, so is, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about this, but right now I'm in a bit of a sabbatical. And, you know, I think the first part is it's very different than what I had planned, right? You know, I had planned this sabbatical of, you know, doing a lot of traveling, a lot of soul searching, a lot of time by myself, um, all of which has not happened, as you can imagine. Um, but it's been a blessing, I would say, as well. You know, so my family is safe. We're healthy. So I think that is most important. Um, but it's brought us certainly closer and maybe brought out all the most irritating factors <laughs> we all have in one another as well. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, we're, we're all getting by. You know, I think this kind of thing teaches you certainly about gratitude, um, what you really because you have to you have to take a deep breath and versus panic or versus despair, which I think a lot of us sometimes feel you have to just breathe in this moment of gratitude. Um, and I certainly am really grateful. But, you know, we're doing interesting things like we let each of the kids plan a day. Um, so I've got three kids. And so each of them gets to kind of plan out what our day is going to look like. Right. Everything from what we're going to have for breakfast, lunch and dinner to what board games we're going to play. And they it's funny. They love the planning of the day. Right. Because it's their day. And so we kind of all have to do whatever each of them wants to do. So that's been one way for us to kind of get creative and get the kids excited. What's the craziest thing you've done with the kids that they have planned? Um, well, we've done like three Easter egg hunts. Um, so my son's day was on Monday. He's like, oh my gosh, it was so fun. So we did two more that day. Um, he wanted um, to have Chick-fil-A for lunch and Taco Bell drive through for dinner. And so that was very specific. And he wanted to have a badminton tournament in the yard. Um, and of course, he wanted um, to play some board games. So actually, we did not play board games. We played Texas Hold'em, um, of which he took all of our money. So he had a really good day. I want to come to your house. <laughs> this sounds like a blast. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, it's funny how each of the kids plan, you know, their personalities come through with what they plan for the day. And so you kind of have to get creative with what we can do, right, versus what we can't do. And I think we've done a pretty good job of that. You know, we we play a lot of poker. Uh, we play a lot of board games um, and a lot of competition um, out in the yard. Sounds good. We are talking with you today at a, at a really interesting time in your life and your career. For the first time, I believe, since 1997, you've taken mm-hmm. a pause in your career and you left just earlier this year, Lowe's, where you were mm-hmm. the CMO of the remarkable retailer. So I think the Brits yeah. call this a garden leave. So I want you to share with our listeners, you know, you're in this pause since working like crazy since 1997 when you, when you left Purdue. You know what? How are you approaching it? And I know it's different because of the coronavirus. But if someone were to take a leave like yours to kind of pause and reflect and be sure you're on the right track for yourself. I did it when I left P&G. You know, I took time to think about what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. But what's your process? How are you spending your time? You know, what are your, your insights from taking this garden leave? You know, so so a couple things. Um, I think I think leading up to that point is probably even more critical. Um, you know, I, I was um, an immigrant, right? We moved here from Hong Kong, um, and I'm the oldest daughter of three girls. And the Asian culture is very patriarchal, and so I think at a really young age, I recognized. Um, that I was a bit of a disappointment and I always would be because I wasn't born a son. I, I always felt this, this dichotomy of, you know, my parents love me, but I was never born a son. I could never bring them um, quite the pride that a firstborn son would. And I can remember at such a young age when I became aware of that. And it has driven me my entire life in every aspect. And it's about proving to my parents that as a daughter, as a woman, as a little girl, I could make them more proud than any son could have. And as a result of that, I share that because you have to be self-aware, I think, of what drives you. And that's important because it's both your greatest strength and your greatest weakness. And at some point, you have to then let it go. And so for my whole career, it's driven me. You know, when I was in engineering class, you know, I had to work twice as hard um, in corporate America, you know, really just trying to prove myself. And because of that background, you know, I share with you, I wanted to make my parents proud. And so for me, my career path has always been one that was very logical, very planned, um, very specific. And I think I reached a point, my dad and I are so close. He actually moved to Charlotte. So he's right down the road from me. So we talk every day. But I reached a point where I didn't need to do that anymore. Um, I finally reached a point, and I'll never forget this. I was driving down the road. It was while um, I was driving to a store, and I was talking to my dad. And he said, he calls me Joe. He said, Joe, I am really proud of you. Now, those were the, that was the first time I had ever heard those words. I had to pull over onto the side of the road because I was like, wait, what did you say? He's like, I am really proud of you. And he goes, and it's not even because of your job title or any of that. It's the wife that you are, the mom that you are, the daughter that you are. And I think when he said that, I was able to let go 
perhaps, of maybe these ambitions that were fueling me. And it kind of set me free, if that makes sense. And so I tell you that because um, Patrick and I have always been great at kind of charting out our life goals, our plans. I always knew there was going to be a moment where I wanted to reset. I don't actually believe in retirement because I love working, but I do believe in reinventing myself. And I knew that this was going to be about the time that would be perfect for me to reinvent myself. If I'm not chasing a title or the corporate ladder, any of that, what, what would I do? Um, what is the work I'm most passionate about? If I'm not trying to please someone, what path would I take? And so it was a culmination of a lot of these things that gave me the confidence to kind of take this pause. Now, I'm not going to lie. I had planned it in my head, but um, it, it was a little scary because for the first time, I didn't know, I don't know what that next step is, right? My whole career, you kind I knew I had to get an engineering degree. I was going to work for Procter & Gamble. You know, I was going to get promoted to brand manager, right? Um, I kind of had all that laid out. And now it's both scary and exciting because it's not laid out. Um, and I have to now rely instead of what I think is the right thing to do, what people expect me to do, to what it is I really want to do. Um, so during this time, it's a lot of um, self-exploration. It's a lot of time to kind of reflect um, in networking. I'm talking to just lots and lots of different people. And it's so refreshing um, because every time I've left a job, it's been for another job. I've not had the opportunity to network and just explore. And I'm learning a lot about myself, I will tell you, in the process. Are you getting help in this? Do you have a mentor or someone who's helping you think this through? Or are you doing it mostly with your husband and your friends and the people you're networking with? Um, so, um, while I was at Lowe's, I had an executive coach and, you know, it's funny when they first, you know, talked to me about that, I'm like, gosh, I don't want an executive coach. Why would I want that? It has been so phenomenal to have, right? Because it's this objective point of view who knows a lot about me, both personally and professionally, um, but can help kind of guide me. Um, even little things like here are the questions you should ask yourself. And I want you to write down over your last 23 years, those moments you were the happiest, like they can help guide you and it provides a little bit of structure. And so I would say leveraging my executive coach has been instrumental. Um, certainly leveraging mentors I've had over the years, right? Diane mm -hmm. Dietz, you know, Diane, I, I spoke to her um, just yesterday. Um, a lot of the bosses I've had over the years, I've kept in very, very good contact with. And they have a unique perspective, right? When they're not your boss anymore, right? Because they kind of know those moments you were the happiest, you know, the areas where you, you, they could tell I wasn't the happiest. Um, and they can really challenge me with those questions. But I've kept in touch with so many people, you know, Matt Baresi from Procter & Gamble, who was my first boss as a brand manager on Crest, um, Mike Bloom, who was my boss at Family Dollar. You know, so I think I've kept up Mike Manassi, who was my boss at Safeway. I've just kept up all those relationships. Um, and that has been so helpful for me. We've all been there. You spend millions of dollars each year driving traffic to your company's website. And then the results come in and they're just not what you hoped. On top of that, 81% of marketing leaders say website ownership is a challenge. So what do you do? Well, you switch to Webflow. 
let me tell you why. Webflow's visual-first platform empowers your team to own your company's most valuable dynamic marketing asset, your website. From launching a new site to optimizing for SEO and conversions, Webflow gives you the tools you need to drive business growth fast. Unlock your website's full potential when you build, manage, and host with Webflow. Get started today at webflow.com. Are there any insights in this time so far that have been surprising to you or mind-opening? I mean, you seem to have a high degree of self-awareness, Jocelyn, but is there anything in this time for reflection? I certainly had my ahas when I did this, when I left P&G, but how about yourself? You know, I don't know. It's a journey. I think I'm continuing to have those moments. And I will tell you a thing I'm probably learning is when you're in this mode of go, go, go for so long, it's very difficult to kind of separate what you think you should be doing from what it is you want to do. It's almost like you forget yourself throughout the process, right? Um, And I've been the primary breadwinner for probably the last 10 years. And you just get into this mode of protecting and providing for your family. And you just go down. It's so easy to go to autopilot. Um, Well, no, I've got to go to another retailer now and I've got to get a bigger CMO job or I've got to do this. It's really hard. I think I have found to separate that when you've been doing it for so long. You know, the other thing I would say, and I'm sure you would agree, I can't recommend enough about the time to pause. I I really can't. I don't think I realized maybe how tired I was. Um, I don't think I allowed myself to really fully embrace creativity and opportunity. Um, And so, you know, the, the thought of taking a break for so many is terrifying because it's unknown, right? Well, what are you going to do? And it is a little bit terrifying. I'm not going to lie. There are moments when I'm like, gosh, should I be getting serious now? Like you feel guilty, you know, should I do yoga today? Like, should I be networking? Should I be looking? And, and it's hard because you're just always going and to allow yourself this gift, if you will, um, is really difficult to do. And it is a bit of a gift. I fully acknowledge that this break for me is a gift. And most importantly, I think it's a gift to myself. A lot of people thought I took this time off because Um, I'm a mom of three kids and I felt guilty and my work-life balance got off skelter and it was about me right-sizing my role as a mom at home. I can tell you that that really wasn't a factor. Um, As a working mom, I think we always feel guilt, but, but you have to let that go. This was not about my children. Only in the only in the sense maybe of role modeling, um, a self-confidence in, in myself that everything will be okay. But this time wasn't about, oh, I felt guilty all these years as a working mom. And now I just want to be that mom who makes cinnamon rolls and, you know, does all that. It really wasn't about that. It was the most selfish thing because it was really just about myself. Um, It was a gift to myself is what I would say. When you look back on times when you were happiest, what were what were the characteristics of those times? Um, I think for sure, everybody would say this, but being on a team that is, you know, high performing with great chemistry, right? Um, where you can challenge each other and debate, um, you can laugh and have fun. I mean, for sure, that is a component. But I would say the other thing um, is when there's a real clear objective. 
um, when it is really clear what the task at hand is. And I say that because a lot of times with roles, and certainly that I've been in, it's not been clear. Um, and it's hard because it can feel like everybody is pulling their own agenda. You're not working cohesively. You know, I would say that um, certainly when you're winning. Um, I think is a there's a component. And when you're in, you know, I love being on teams and leading teams. You know, I think I've realized that, you know, now that I've taken a pause, I've realized because I'm a total introvert um, and it was almost exhausting for me to be with people every day. It, it just sucks so much out of me. And so for me, I was like, I just want to be my, by myself for a while. But I think I've recognized I do get energy from people. Um, I do love the process of the debate and challenging and working towards that. I think I've recognized, no, I do really love that. Um, and then when you're winning, um, that's certainly a component. When, when you're winning or you feel like you're making a difference, right? Um, whether it was on crust with white strips, you're bringing innovation or you're you're fulfilling a necessary gap. You know, and I would say I felt that at Family Dollar. Um, so it, while it wasn't innovation based, it was for a customer I was so passionate about, you know, this low income customer and Family Dollar played a role um, in that customer's life. And that was very fulfilling as well. A previous guest on, on our podcast is a guy named Vinu Vijay. He's the CMO of H&R Block, and he works for Jeff Jones, okay. who used to be, he was now the CEO of H&R Block, used to be at Target. And he took about a year off. He also had the gift of, of being able to do that. Mm -hmm. And he just thought, you know, I'm going to go to the beach and read and think and reflect. And, and, I, and he was really thinking about moving out of business and doing something very different. And he said, and I just kind of realized I'm, I really love being on energetic teams. And I love being yeah. on teams that have a clear objective and they're trying to do something remarkable and are taking on barriers and they're doing it together and they're debating and discussing. He said, yeah. that's, I, I miss it. And so he came back and he went into a company and, and working for his CEO who values that too. And he's super happy. So he went through some of the same sort of reflections that we just talked about with you. So you should listen to that podcast. There might be some inspiration in it. Yeah. No, I think that would be, I think that's great. And you're right. I think, you know, Patrick and I did travel a little bit before all of this craziness. And, you know, to be honest, it was, it was just great to use this time to reconnect, reconnect with myself, reconnect with my husband, Patrick, you know, because I think, you know, as you know, when you have kids, it's, it's very functional, right. And you're just kind of trying to get through the day. And it was, fantastic. We took a trip without the kids and we were laughing again. And I was like, oh, I forgot you're funny. Like <laughs> it's been 20 years. I forgot you're actually funny, you know, and we found ourselves, you know, laughing and telling jokes and stories. And, and that was certainly critical. Um, and I would say that's not the case maybe right now. Now yeah. that we've been locked in this yeah. house together, um, every possible annoyance, you know, I think is really bubbling up. Um, but I definitely took some time with Patrick and, and just did a lot of nothing for a little bit, um, for sure. So let's talk about that career and switch back to P&G where you began your career. So you, you came in out of Purdue, a great engineering school into process engineering at P&G and then product development. And then you made the switch from technical to commercial. You came into brand management. Yeah, That's a hard switch. And there are more people who fail at that at P&G and other companies than succeed. And so I want to ask you how you made that switch successfully. 
You know, I, I, I would probably think of it a little bit differently in my case. I don't think I was cut out for engineering. Um, so that's the first thing. I, I think I always felt out of sorts. I never really felt like that was an area where I was great at. Um, I, I just didn't. I always really struggled. Um, and, you know, a lot of people who know me know this story, but it's important um, because, you know, when I was 19 as an engineer at Purdue, I was really struggling, couldn't pay the bills. I was donating plasma like twice a week just to pay my rent. Um, I was struggling academically and personally, just I felt lost. You know, I was like, gosh, I, I want to make my parents proud, right? I'm the first to go to college. Like, I've got to figure this out. And there was this competition at Purdue for the most creative uses of soybeans. And me and just a couple other folks, we came up with soybean crayons. And it was because there was an unmet need right then. Um, China, they had found a lot of lead in crayons. We, we kind of spun this whole more sustainability angle on it. We called them earth colors. Um, and it won the competition. But more importantly, we were able to get it patented and sold the rights when I was like 20 years old. Um, and it produced royalty fees for many, many years, and it helped helped me tremendously. But it wasn't about the money. It was about the experience. I think at that moment, I didn't know it at the time, but I recognized that's what I love. So you can call it solving problems. You can call it a business plan. You can call mm -hmm. it marketing. You can call it the combination of all of that. There was a gap. There was an opportunity. There was a business idea. And we really leveraged it to call it Earth Colors. You know, we talked about it. You could eat the crayons. And it took off. I loved that experience. And I didn't know what to call that. Like, I didn't know what that was. I didn't know if I could do that once I was out of college. And when I found myself in brand management at Procter & Gamble, that's kind of what it was. It was about finding these needs in the marketplace a business plan and marketing to the customer in a way that was meaningful to them and important to them and beneficial. And so for me, the transition from engineering to marketing was amazing. Like, I think I had finally found a space where I was good at. Um, I found energy um, and I looked forward to coming to work every single day. And ever since I made that switch, I've, for the most part, I have to tell you, been loving my work every single day. Uh, so for me, the transition was just, it was enlightening and awesome because I had found my thing. Well, you transitioned onto Crest and that was one of the hottest brands at P&G at the time. Yeah. It was really finding its yeah. way. It came out with a remarkable product called White Strips, which basically made, yep. you know, whitening that dentists would do for people it cost hundreds of dollars. It made it into something people could buy in the drugstore or the grocery store for what, 30 or $40. And so and you were really inventing a new marketing model with that. You were on a great team. So tell us a bit about that experience and what about that has stayed with you? What did you learn about leadership and brand building in that very fundamental experience for you? Yeah. You know, so, you know, being on Crest, it was about a lot about the brand Crest, right? And where could we expand? Like, what does Crest mean? So the first thing it certainly talked about was in more technical terms, maybe brand architecture. And that's a lot of the work. What does the Crest brand mean? And can it go outside traditional toothpaste, right? So it taught me about what a brand is, um, 
How do you think about expanding that brand that's relevant for customers and where can it not go? Because there were certainly a lot of things that we tried that maybe weren't as successful. And I'm as proud of those moments as I am the ones that were successful, right? Um, and it taught me about, at that time, what we called commercial innovation too. So there was big product innovation and there was commercial innovation. And one of the first things we did was a toothpaste called Crest Whitening Plus Scope. And it was not this huge technical innovation, right? It wasn't game-changing as far as the benefits, but it combined what customers wanted, which was fresh breath, this equity that Scope had with a toothpaste. That's also the time whitening toothpaste became so in, right? So how do you think about the benefits that, you know, so toothpaste is certainly about fluoride, et cetera, but what is it that customers want? They want a beautiful smile. They want a healthy smile. They want white teeth. They have sensitive gums, right? And it taught me how do you really um, not limit how you think based on how what the past is. Like, how do you create and charter a future? And the customer was telling us all those things along the way, right? The white teeth phenomenon, right? The, how do you think about fresh breath sensitivity? You know, how do you think about all these places um, that could play? So, I mean, gosh, the crust experience was the foundation. And I am telling you, it's been the foundation for everything I have done ever since, right? There's certainly the framework of who are you trying to go after? What are you trying to do? How do you do it? I use that all the time, every, every single day. Um, but just how to, how to innovate and connect with the customer. Now, marketing 20 years ago, gosh, is, is the how is so different today. But I don't think the what is different. I think it's the same questions you have to ask. And so even though all the tactics and certainly digital marketing and performance marketing, all of that has evolved. I don't think the foundation for the questions you have to ask as a marketer has changed at all. Um, and so from that crust experience, which taught me all of that, you know, I've obviously taken that with me throughout, the career, my, throughout my career. You have been a practitioner of what we call brand purpose for many years. Mm -hmm. I want you to talk about that because you had many assignments at different organizations. You know, what have you learned about brand purpose and what, yeah. you know, what, what does it mean to you? What have you learned about how you find it, how you activate it, how you measure it? What would be helpful for our listeners from what you've learned? And by the way, I'm very proud of you because you've been such a practitioner of that, of that yeah. customer centricity yeah. and bringing a purpose to life. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. You know, I, yeah, you know, I think it comes back to what I said. You know, I think there's always a few questions you have to ask um, when you're on a brand. Um, whether it's a retailer or it's a consumer packaged goods brand. And it's really hard. It is who that customer is. And it is what is your purpose? What, why do you exist? Um, I can tell you in retail, I think I have really seen the full effect. Because retail is really different in that your brand, it is as important. One of the biggest conduits of your brand are your associates. Um, it is. You know, at Lowe's, there was 300,000 associates and they represent your brand every single day. And they are much more powerful in giving a lasting impression of the brand to customers than anything I could have done from the headquarters, anything I could have done. And the purpose in retail is so important to unite those associates, to give them a reason for being 
to give them a purpose beyond just what it is they do in the stores every day. And, you know, you were involved with that work with Lowe's and, you know, to help people love where they live. Um, it, it was as important to engage our customers with that as it was our associates. And the stories associates can then tell around, here's what I did to help people love where they live. It, it gave them a sense of being and united them. And it made sense and provided structure and order for all the little things they have to do every day. Why do I do all that? And so I think for me, you know, even though I could see the critical importance of it while I was at Procter & Gamble, I think it's even more important in retail or in other sectors where you've got associates on the front line that represent your brand. And you're trying to unite and rally hundreds of thousands of people beyond just the financials you have to drive, just the product that you're selling. It's about why are you doing what you're doing? You know, and home improvement's a great example where it's not that you're just buying two by fours or you're not just buying paint, right? The stories around helping someone love where they live. It's a woman and a, a man, it's a couple who's expecting their first child. Right. So the paint that they're buying is not just any paint. They're building a nursery and it's been their dream. You know, I can tell you so many stories from that. You know, a man who was buying a couple two by fours and needed help. He was a foster parent to a little girl and he wanted to build a loft in her bedroom because that's how they were going to surprise her, that they were going to be her forever home. Mm. Um, and when you have that purpose, you ask deep, deep, deeper questions. It allows for better customer engagement. What are you here to buy, sir? Well, I'm here to buy two by fours. Okay. What are you trying to build? Well, I'm building a loft. Um, I want to do this design. I think it's going to be really cool. I need some paint. I need this. Why are you doing it? I mean, the story behind that is unbelievable, right? And so we actually had videotaped this at the time. That was, he was building this little girl's dream bedroom and they told her when it was all done, we are going to be your forever home. You will no longer have to move around from house to house. So what he had come to Lowe's for was much deeper. And the associates that were helping him in the store, it was about helping him build this home, right? Um, and create this family. And so I think purpose, it allows you to go deeper, find that connection and break down the transactional elements of whatever it is to find that connection with your customers and your associates. What do you think our biggest opportunity is going forward on purpose? Is it on bringing it to life in daily work? Is it in measurement? Is it in making it sustainable? What do you think it is as you look forward as it, for us as an industry? Yeah, you know, I think there is probably a measurement piece. You know, I think, you know, I think marketing, it kind of swings. The pendulum, it, it kind of swings, you know, and I'm, I'm sure you've seen that where it's all about ROI and then no, it's about the intangibles about the brand. And then it moves back to no, it's about ROI. So it, it kind of swings um, back and forth, I would say. It'll be interesting to see now moving forward uh, with the reality that we're living in and when this country reopens and customer behavior changes and, and many companies are going to be struggling. It's going to take a while. How is that going to affect marketing and the role of marketing? Um, but I would say with purpose, I do think there's a measurement piece. You know, that's the engineer in me. You know, I think I am obsessed about, I believe you can measure anything. 
Um, and if you're clear on what you're trying to do, you've got to find a way to measure it. It may not be in the tangible metrics we're all used to, but you've got to know whether it's working or not. And is it is it working? Is it working with our customers? Is it working for the business? Is it working um, with your associates on many levels? So I do think measurement is a piece. Um, you know, I, I would say at Lowe's, it wasn't about bringing it to life that was the issue. Everybody felt it and could breathe it. It was the way we recruited people into Lowe's, to be honest with you, because um, a lot of these young people want to work for a company that's got meaning beyond just the financial metrics. You know, so I would say it's, it's more about measurement and, and sticking with it. Um, purpose is not a tagline, right? It's not this thing that you reinvent every one year to, to throw it on, you know, your radio or your TV or your social media. It, that's not what it is. It's a foundation, right? It's not the sprinkles you put on a cake. Purpose is, is the flour. It's the ingredients, right, for building. And I think people sometimes don't understand that. They confuse that. It's not something you throw on and, okay, I've got a purpose. It's got to be something you can breathe. It's a part of you, right? Um, and I think people need to get a little bit clear on that. And you have to stick with that then. Um, it's not something you change every year. And I think sometimes when business is tough, um, we confuse that is what I would say. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. Jocelyn, as you reflect on your career as you're doing and about when, when you were happiest, what are you most proud of in your career to date? And then I also want you to talk about the biggest mishap you've had and what you've learned from that. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Sometimes I, I think uh, when I look back on my career, you know, it's been a lot of unexpected. You know, I think people, including myself, was surprised I went into retail, um, was surprised I went to the grocery channel. And then I think people were surprised, including myself, that I moved to Charlotte and went into the dollar channel. And then last but not least, I can tell you my family was most surprised, including my husband, that I would go into home improvement, right? Like, what? Are you kidding me? And, and seeing me, I started in merchandising at Lowe's. And so, you know, I would come home with all this information on lawnmowers and backpack blowers. And it was just hilarious, right? My husband, it was my husband's absolute dream <laughs> job. And, um, and I'm not a home improvement enthusiast. And so it was just really funny to see me in that. But I would say, I think I am proud that I have taken risks along the way um, that haven't been that comfortable. Um, whether it was when I was working in a manufacturing plant and you know, you're working the night shift, it, it was not comfortable. It was outside my comfort zone for sure. You know, retail was outside my comfort zone. Um, the culture is really different than CPG like Procter & Gamble. It's really, really different. Um, but I've taken those risks and I think I've been humbled every time to really learn. Um, I, I am proud of that. I have taken unexpected twists and turns maybe that haven't always been the easiest. And I've learned from every one of those. So I'm proud about that. 
You know, I would say that the thing that I have learned is when you're in those environments, you know, and maybe it's the little girl in me again, right? It's that five-year-old that's trying to prove. It's, it is about knowing your value. Um, and I think there have been times where it's probably good and it's bad, where I've had to adapt so much to the environment I've been in that maybe I've lost a bit of myself um, at times because you're trying to adapt, right? I wanted to be seen as a retailer. You know, you're, you know, with all these operators that have been doing this for 35 years, I want them to see me as one of them. And so I've learned how to adapt, right? Um, But there have been times I think I've adapted so much to be able to fit in my current environment. Maybe I wasn't as true to myself along the way. And that there's a point, and I think I'm certainly at that point right now, where you have to know your value. And there has to be a confidence where it's not about fitting in. Yes, you want to be flexible and you want to be able to adapt. But here's who I am. Take it or leave it. Here's who I am. And if this isn't right, then this isn't right. But I think I'm at that point where I don't want to say I'm tired of adapting because I think in this world you have to. But I want to be maybe more true to my boundaries, Mm -hmm. if you will, and my core. And be much quicker to stick with that. And I think that is something I think I've learned. So while it's been good that I've gotten outside my comfort zone and I've done all this, you know, I do look back and I wonder if now knowing what I know, what I would have done differently. And I think there are things I would have done differently. Now, it's not about regrets. It's about acknowledgement, right? And empowerment, I think, moving forward. I don't know. Does Absolutely, that make sense? Absolutely, no. I mean, and that's an enormous insight for you as you think about what you do next. You know, finding that person, yeah. that fit with a company, a product, a purpose, where you can be yourself, still stretch, but, but where you yeah. feel like it's home, you know, that, that yeah. you're accepted and you can add value and you're at your best. Yeah. You know, and I think, you know, there's a lot, I bring a lot of passion. And I, so one thing I've learned is I definitely need to get back at doing something. And my husband would tell you, Jocelyn, you've got to go do something like this whole thing. You know, we redid the playroom. Like I've got all these projects going on. I think it's driving everybody nuts. But, you know, I, I also, you know, I want to take my time in thinking about this. Like I, like I said, I don't think about retirement in that truest sense. I really think about it as reinventing myself. Um, stretching myself, challenging myself. But I think now the difference is going forward, being more true to what it is I want, um, what it is I need to do. It's not about my dad anymore. It's not about my kids. It's not about the social norms, right? And social media about trying to keep up with everybody on LinkedIn, right? And in social media today, I mean, honestly, that can be just as bad is growing up with demanding parents, right? The social media craze where you're trying to catch up with everyone. And God, that person looks like they have the coolest job in the world. Or, oh my gosh, I can't believe that person's doing that. I kind of want to just take all of that away. Um, you, you, and it's harder, I think, in today's world, to be honest with you, than ever to remove this outside stigma and to just get back to your core. I think it is so much harder today than it's ever been. And I think about my kids growing up and it terrifies me. There's just this, this social you know, norm that's happening and this pressure. Um, I, I wanna get rid of all that. 
in whatever I choose to do next, you know, I think it's going to be about, it's going to continue to be about stretching myself and not being comfortable, but it's definitely going to be about being who I am um, and leveraging my combined experience to, to make it happen. That's what it's going to be about. Well, we're going to have to have you again on the podcast once you <laughs> decide where you're going to go and you get in there for a while. I think it'll be incredible to talk to you again when, whenever that happens. Yeah. So I want to end yes. this remarkable, beautiful discussion with a lightning round, but I want it to be a bit of a longer lightning round because your perspective okay. right now is so interesting on so many things. And the first question is, what have you learned from your best boss? Passion is worth 10 index points. Um, Matt Baresi told me that. And it has affected how I hire. Absolutely. It is not about who is the smartest or where they went to school. It is about the intangibles. How passionate are you? So that would be credit to Matt Baresi. What have you learned from your worst boss? Um, from my worst boss, I would have to say, the importance of just body cues and signals, um, the intangibles, um, and how quickly it is to give someone confidence and how easy it is to take confidence away. What is a brand you would miss if it went away? Oh, gosh, there's so many. Um, and I think we're experiencing that now, to be honest, with the way the world is going. Um, you know, that's a great question. Um, I think now I think we're in this weird place right now. And so I, I'd have to right now, I think my kids would say something like Chick-fil-A, to be honest. I think I find myself in the drive through of Chick-fil-A waiting for like two hours for the eight piece nugget more than I would like. Um, gosh, that's a great question. Let me come Chick-fil-A is pretty good. One. So what's your what's your favorite <laughs> P&G brand? Oh, I think Pampers <laughs> is a phenomenal mm-hmm. brand. I just, I think the work that they do is just phenomenal. I think Tide is phenomenal. That is a staple. And I love how they continue to reinvent themselves. Um, I, I just think, you know, it's been around forever, but the way they've reinvented themselves and stayed relevant is just phenomenal. They're just doing an awesome job. What do you think will be the biggest change in consumer habits coming out of this crisis that's, that's more sustained? Yeah, I, I definitely think what we're seeing from from an e-commerce delivery um, is going to be critical. Um, you know, I'll be honest, I never, for example, leveraged grocery delivery. I never leveraged, you know, restaurant delivery. I never leveraged any of that stuff. You know, now that we're all kind of forced to do that, I think that's going to be a customer behavior that's not going to go away. Um, this this convenience aspect um, of getting what you need when you need it, I think, is going to accelerate. Um, tenfold, even out of coming out of this coronavirus. What do you think will be the biggest change within companies and how we work coming out of this crisis? You know, I I would like to hope that the way we think about remote working is going to fundamentally change. Um, you know, I can say retail is not so was not so open to that, but now that you're forced to do it, I think people are seeing tremendous productivity. Um, from that. So I think how we work, I think, is going to definitely shift and change. Um, but I think, you know, from an office standpoint, I think these contingency plans, I think, is going to be really important. I think for the large part, we were very unprepared for this. I would say that we were very unprepared. Everybody was trying to figure out the new rules of engagement. We were just 
inadequate, we're just inadequate in how we prepared for this um, as a whole. So I think mm-hmm. that's going to really yeah. step up how companies are going to think about that. Um, and if we really are headed into this deep recession, I think you know, companies are going to be really strapping in. I think the good thing about stuff like this is it forces brands and companies to reinvent. And you could argue many brands and companies have been somewhat complacent. You know, the economy has been really strong. Customer behavior has been really strong. But I mean, if you look at history, these are the moments that, that force people to dramatically reinvent themselves, which perhaps was needed in many regards. What content right now is interesting for you that you're learning from, whether it's a series you're watching, a book you've read, a podcast you've listened to, anything interesting to recommend to our listeners? Yeah, you know, I I think for one, I think I'm taking this time to connect with people. So the first thing I would say is I'm connecting with people the good old fashioned way. I'm not texting them. You know, we're either seeing each other like this or I'm getting on the phone and I'm calling people. And I think that's been hugely important. You know, there's somebody um, that I follow who also does some podcasts. His name is Rick Elias. Um, He works at Red Ventures here, and he does some really interesting interviews. So I would definitely say I'm listening and taking the opportunity for more podcasts than I am reading right now. And I'm taking this time for just human connection because I'm I'm desperately longing for it. Um, And so it's been good. I don't remember the last time I've spent days. Yesterday, I talked on the phone for four hours. Um, I I haven't done that. And I don't even remember the last time. I'm just picking up my phone and I'm calling people and I'm trying to connect. You know, I'll be honest. I think right now for everybody, it's hard to stay away from reading Mm -hmm. the news. And the news is all consuming, which is why I'm kind of forcing myself to put, put the phone down and connect with people again. What was your favorite activity with your family before the crisis? Um, you know, I think we would watch TV shows, you know, we would watch different streaming on Netflix together. I would say love to travel with the kids. Now, I think we're going back old school. You know, we're playing stuff like catchphrase and charades <laughs> and sequence and we're playing this game, you know, called Catan. And that's actually been really interesting. You know, we're I would say our connect, we were very close as a family, but now we're engaging in a really, really different way. It's back to the good old board games, right? And turning off, we're actually watching less TV now than we were before. I can tell you that, which Interesting. I don't know if that's common yeah. or not. It is. We're not watching TV. It's actually hardly ever on. And we're doing other things is what I would say. I love your idea of letting each kid plan the day. I have my son and his new wife with me. As I said, my wife's in California with our daughter, who's an ICU nurse. I think each, each, each oh, of us wow. need to rotate and plan the day. I like that idea. That's, that's fun. Yeah, and you, it is fun. And my daughters play up a different theme. You know, my daughter, Kira, is more of a health fanatic. And so it was about mm-hmm. yoga. And she wanted smoothies for breakfast. And she wanted to do yoga. And she wanted to go on these power walks. And then Jada is a little bit more... I don't know what's the right word. You know, she loves, you know, so it was Asian night. So we got Japanese sushi and she dressed up in her chungsam and her, you know, Asian clothes. And we had to get all dressed up. And and she wanted to talk about, um, exp- we all had to do a paper, a paper. She's 13 <laughs> on, a, on a country we would want to visit. And so everybody had to kind of go away and then come back at dinner and share a country we would want to visit when this is all over. And so it has been great because it's brought out different kids' personalities. 
And it's been a twist on the day because you never know what you're going to get. But my son is the best. I mean, it was about Taco Bell, Chick-fil-A. Um, it, it, his was really funny. <laughs> so who would you like to hear on the CMO podcast? Who would be interesting for you? Yeah, you know, um, I, I've only met Rick Gomez a couple times, a few times. Um, and I was always really impressed. He's got this just a really fresh perspective. You know, if there was a person that I could, you know, spend time with and, and, and just understand right now in this craziness, you know, that would certainly, you know, certainly be one person. You know, I think da Dow, you know, Dow yeah. Bergsma. Um, I'm curious with his transition into healthcare. And, you know, he was in CPG Georgia Pacific and now he's, I think, at Piedmont yes, Healthcare. That's right. Just what what's that challenge look like? That's a very different space. And he transitioned at a time, just a critical time. I mean, I think he transitioned in January and all of this has hit. And how has he seen his role change and evolve when he's in healthcare now versus in the CPG sector? Just, it's, it's an interesting transition. I don't know many people who've made that transition, especially during this time. And with all of his experiences, how is he applying that to this new world would be someone I'd- That's a great idea. He's a good friend of mine. I just saw him actually- yeah. Uh, sort of at the beginning of this crisis. So we'll do that. And Rick Gomez, by the way, we had him on a previous episode with Jeff Jones. I interviewed Jeff and Rick together at, at, at Deloitte's Leadership Center when there was a pro program okay. that we were doing for CMOs. So having them on stage together was a really magical time because, because oh, that Rick is came in behind cool. Jeff at Target. They're both wonderful. They're wonderful human beings. It's a, it's a really fabulous, a fabulous interview. Oh, that's good. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for the time. This was such an honor and it was a lot of Jocelyn, fun. Jocelyn, it was great for me. So good to see you again. And thank you for your just amazing insights. You, you are remarkable and I can't wait to see what you do next. Oh, thank you. That was my conversation with Jocelyn Wong. This one was just so timely and so interesting. Here's a remarkable woman who's had incredible roles at incredible companies who just said, I need to stop. I need to get off the treadmill. I need to get back in touch with what I love doing, how I'm happiest, when I'm happiest, and think about very deliberately about what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. She speaks about this with great insight, great honesty, and, and great, you know, just great compassion. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.